We've been going through the book of First Kings, and we have been um, in a series called When We Were Kings, and we are going to be today in First Kings chapter 7. So if you came with your Bibles, um, you can go ahead and open up to First Kings 7. Um, and just to get us started this morning, I'm just going to open us in a quick prayer, and then we will dive in. Lord, I just thank you for today. I thank you for this beautiful fall weather. I thank you for the crispness outside, um, God. And I just thank you for the words that you have prepared for this morning. And I just pray that you will speak those words through me this morning um, and that only what you want to be said and only your words will um, come through me this morning. And I thank you that you are meeting each and every person here this morning. Um, and we're so excited to see what you have in store. Um, so, we are going to be in 1 Kings 7. I'm actually going to start reading us out of 2 Chronicles 2 um, before we read it out of 1 Kings 7. Um, and today we're going to be talking about a man named Hiram. And this is the only time in the Bible that Hiram is mentioned, is in 1 Kings 7. Um, and in 2 Chronicles, we see um, the communication between Solomon and King Huron. Of Tyree. So we have Huram and Hiram, which we're only briefly going to talk about Huram. We're not going to be talking a lot about Huram. Um, but the Huram and Hiram, it was probably a similar name, just a different spelling. So like Caitlin with a C or Caitlin with a K kind of situation. But they were two different people. And Huram was the king of Tyree. And Solomon is starting to build the temple. He's building his palace. He's building some other buildings. And he goes to King Hiram, and he's like, hey, I need a guy that can do this and this and this. And he lists off all these things um, that a guy can do. And so this is Solomon um, in 2 Chronicles 2, chapter 7, going to King Hiram. He says, so now send me an artesian skill to work in gold, silver, bronze, and iron, and in purple, crimson, and blue fabrics, trained also in engraving to join the skilled workers who are with me in Judah and Jerusalem who my father David provided. Um, and then we go down to verse 13 in Second Chronicles, and Hiram is like, all right, I got you a guy. I have dispatched Hiram IB, which basically just meant master, skilled, um, a skilled artesian endowed with understanding, the son of the Dante woman, his father, a Tyranian. He is trained to work in gold, silver, bronze, iron, stone, and work in purple, blue, and crimson fabrics, and fine linen, and to do all sorts of engraving and execute any design that may be assigned to him with your artesians and the artesians of my lord, your father David. So Hiram, King Hiram sends Hiram, and um, he not only can do all the things that Solomon listed, but he's like, hey, he can do a few thing, extra things while he's at it. Um, so then we go into 1 Kings 7, which is where we're going to be today. Um, in 1 Kings 7, starting in verse 13, we see that Hiram, he gets the job. And he is skilled in bronze working. So he has built all the bronze work in the temple, in Solomon's building, some other things, um, which we're going to get to here in a minute. But I'm going to read 1 Kings 7:13, where it says, Now King Solomon invited and received Hiram from Tyre. He was, the, he was the son of a widow of the tribe of Naphtali, probably mispronounced that, whose father, a man of Tyree, had been an artesian in bronze. 
He was full of skill, intelligence, and knowledge. And working bronze. He came to King Solomon and did all of his work. Um, now, one thing that I want to point out in both, that's mentioned both here in verse 13 and in Second Chronicles, is it talks about how Hiram was full of knowledge and understanding. In Second Chronicles, it says he was endowed with understanding, which is interesting because the accounts of First Kings and the accounts of Second Chronicles are similar, but we see a lot of different perspectives. Um, so, like in Second Chronicles, a lot of what we see that Hiram did, Solomon gets the credit. And even though in First Kings we see that Hiram gets all the credit for doing bronze making, but it was probably a similar situation where, like a football coach, he gets the blame or the credit for a win or a loss, even though his team is the one out there doing all the hard work, taking the brunt of the work, getting hit, taking tackles, where Solomon, he was the king, so he was the leader. He was in charge to find the people that could build the things and get all everything that he wanted done, and Hiram was probably the leader of the bronze making that he was part of. Um, and so I just think that's interesting that in both of these verses, it mentions how he was endowed with understanding, and he had knowledge and skill, and he was a master in this bronze working. And that's the job, that's what he grew up knowing how to do. His dad was a bronze maker. He learned how to bronze make. It was in the family. He was mastered. He was skilled at it. Um, it's kind of just what he grew up knowing to do. Um, and verses 15 through 40 give us a very detailed outline of all the things that Hiram made. I will spare you the details of reading all of those verses this morning because it gives us measurements and everything. Um, but I want, I'll start reading from at verse 40 through 46, which just gives us a um, brief summary of the things that he built. So verse 40 says, So Hiram finished all the work that he did for King Solomon on the house of the Lord. The two pillars, the two bowls of the capitals that were on top of the pillars, the two lattice work to cover the two bowls of the capitals that were on top of the pillars, the 400 pomegranates for the two lattice works, the two rows of pomegranates for each lattice work to cover the two bowls of the capitals that were on the pillars, then the ten stands, the ten basins on the stands, the one of the sea, and the twelve oxen underneath the sea. So you're like, okay, great, that's a lot. Like, he built a lot of stuff, and there was probably a lot of time and effort that went into this. Now, I want to pause on that and what he made and just briefly talk about the bronze-making process. In prepping for this, I have learned all about bronze-making. I knew nothing about bronze-making before this. <laughs> And I have learned quite a bit about what goes into the process of making bronze and the casting process. So bronze is two metals melted together. Usually it's copper, and at this time it was probably tin or aluminum or something in that nature. Um, and you would mine the copper and you would melt, melt them together, and it became a more stronger, durable metal that they had ever known before during this time. And so they built lots of weapons and tools that were used of it. Bronze making became like a whole age. Like we, it's known as the Bronze Age, which I won't go into too much detail about, but it came known throughout parts of Africa and Asia, and it just took off because they're like, hey, this is a more durable, stronger metal than we've ever known, and we can do all sorts of things, make weapons and tools and all of this stuff. Um, so it became the stronger metal. So that's how you make the bronze itself to get it. Then there's the bronze casting process which 
is if you're making a pillar like we read here that Hiram made or a statue or a sculpture or anything like that, there's the casting process to make your final product, your masterpiece. And I'm going to give you these six steps because when I watched some videos and read through this, I was like, this is highly intense. But keep in mind, this is also how they did it back in this time. Um, they've, with technology and things, have probably changed a little. Um, but back in this time, this is how Hiram was doing it. So you would build your structure, your original structure, out of wood. Whatever you want your final bronze piece to look like, you were building that out of wood. So if parts of it were smooth, crevice here, indention there, whatever it was, you had to make your final product look like that. And you would make that out of wood. And then you would cover it in clay because you're eventually going to build a mold that will go around that. So you put clay around it, you fire the clay, you have your hard shell to form your mold. Um, and then what you have to do is you have to completely destroy the wooden structure that you made, spent who knows how long on making and creating your structure out of wood. You completely destroy that to make room for the bronze that's going to come in, to make room for something greater that is going to come in. So then, after you've destroyed that, you dig a hole in the ground, and you put your mold, your fired, your shell clay, into the ground. The pressure from the ground keeps the mold together. Then you pour in your bronze, you let it sit, you let it solidify, do its thing, let it harden. And then, you have to dig that bad boy up out of the ground. Now, when I read the summary here, there was all these things listed that Hiram made. There was a mention of pillars. And these pillars were 27 feet by 18 feet in circumference. I alone can't imagine digging that out of bronze out of the ground. So when I read that, I was like, okay, so there was definitely a team of people he had helping him. Um, there was definitely a lot of time and effort that went into this. There was probably some literal blood, sweat, and tears, a scrape here or there. There was a lot of work that went into this. Um, and there's a book called... A Long Obedience in the Same Direction by Eugene Peterson. And in this book, he talks about, there's a chapter where he talks about work. And in this chapter, he talks about the effort and the time we put into the work that we do in our work. And he starts off the chapter by talking about the Tower of Babel and all the time and the effort that went into building this enormous Tower of Babel. And how ultimately, all that time and all that effort that they built, building this enormous tower, led to a mess of a situation. It led to disaster, it led to confusion, it led to garbled language, all of this stuff. And he goes on to quote, Peterson goes on to quote, and says, efforts, even if the efforts are religious, does not justify anything. It is the nature of sin to take good things and twist them ever so slight so that they miss the target to which they were aimed, the target of God. He goes on to talk about Psalm 127, which I'm going to read the first two verses here real quick, um, of Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord guards the city, the guards keep watch in vain. So it's not saying sit back, relax, enjoy the ride, let God do all the work. No, God's like, you have to do the work. You have to put in the time and the effort. But if I am not at the center of that, you're going to labor in vain. 
all your effort, all your time that you built and you did, it's all going to be in vain. If we put God at the center of our work and what he has called us to do, he has called each of us to a work. He has given each of you gifts and talents to do a specific work that he has made you to do. If you put God at the center of that work, that work then begins to take on a different type of value. It begins to take on value, not worldly value, but a kingdom value. So I'm going to go back to this casting process that I mentioned just a minute ago for a second. Um, Talking about building that first step, that first, you're creating your creation out of mold, your statue, your pillar, your structure, whatever it is that you're making. Now, when you are making that, if any part of that original structure out of wood is flawed and you mess up, then your final product is going to be flawed, right? Because the mold is going to be flawed. So if part of that is flawed, your mold is flawed, and then ultimately your final masterpiece out of bronze is flawed. Sometimes we build our life around these things that are at the center of our life that are creating a flawed mold. Whether it be a job or money or working towards something, pride, whatever it is, we build our life around that. That's the center of our life. We think our job is the center of our life. And not necessarily that your job is a bad thing. These things aren't necessarily bad. But if that is solely what's at the center of your life that you're building your life around, that is going to create a flawed mold in our life. That will ultimately lead in the end where we don't feel fulfilled or we don't feel like it's enough. We're still missing something. And what we're missing is Jesus being at the center of our mold. He came and showed us a perfect way. He was the perfect human to ever walk the earth. And everything that Jesus did, the Father was at the center of what Jesus did. He didn't speak or act without the Father acting. In John, um, let's see, hold on, let me flip to it. John 5, give me a second, 519. It says, Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing on his own, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does too. And so I say all this to say, to lead to verses 46 and 47, which I'm going to read here in a minute, um, about having Jesus at the center, having him as our perfect mold. I say all this to say, because in verse 47, it tells us actually, or verse 46 tells us exactly where they casted all of this stuff that Hiram made, where they dug a hole in the ground between the plain of the Jordan and between these two cities, they, they casted. And then verse 47 says, Solomon left all the vessels unweighed because there were so many of them, the weight of the bronze was not determined. Now, I think it's easy to quickly read through chapter 7 here in verse Kings, and especially that verse. You could read and be like, okay, great. They couldn't weigh it. They couldn't determine about the how much it weighed, the value of it. Okay, whatever, move on. He made all these things. Hiram, great. He made all these things for the temple, for Solomon. Moving on, let's get to the more nitty-gritty of what's happening here. But this was important because at this time, weight determined value. The weight of something showed how much something was worth. And the fact that everything that Solomon weighed, the weight of it could not be determined, shows something. 
When Jesus is at the center of our work and what we are doing, our work takes on kingdom value and it becomes immeasurable. Even the things that Jesus did were immeasurable. At the end of John, in, verse, uh, in chapter 21, verse 25, it says, But there are also many other things that Jesus did. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. This Bible, this word, is full of amazing things that we get to read and learn about that Jesus did. Life-changing things that Jesus did here that we read in the Gospels. This is just a snippet of the things that he did in his, what we think, 33 years on, life, on earth. When he showed us the way of the kingdom. When he showed us how to do what the Father does. He was the prime example of having God at the center of his life and working and acting as the Father did. That the whole world itself could not contain these books. So when Jesus is at the center of the work, there's a work that he has called you to. There are special giftings. There are things that he has given you that says, I have made you for this work. When he is at the center of that, it becomes immeasurable. The fruit of it, that comes out of it, we may never see, but it comes immeasurable. Um, Jesus even said that in three days' time, my temple will be destroyed. Or it, my temple will be destroyed, but in three days' time, it will be rebuilt. The amazing part of this is we have the same power that Jesus had. Because of what Jesus did on the cross for us, because Jesus died on the cross for us and rose again three days later, he says, you know what? You can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is pretty amazing because in John 14, 12, it does tell us that we will do greater things than he. Even greater, you will do even greater things than I, he says, because he, was, he gave us the gift of the Holy Spirit. So if Everything that Jesus did, if all of that was written down, it would become immeasurably more, then we have that same power that Jesus had to do even more than what Jesus did. And I don't know about you, but that is pretty amazing to me. And those things that we build our life around, those things that are causing a flawed mold in our life, those things have to be destroyed because that, if that's at the center of life, that can't be at the center of life, and Jesus can't be. We have to destroy those things. Just like in the casting process, you have to destroy that original mold to make room for something greater. We have to destroy these things in our life that we are building our life around that are causing a flawed mold. Because if Jesus is not at the center of it, like I said earlier, we labor in vain. The things that we are doing are effortless, like, they labor in vain. But when Jesus is at the center of that, um, it takes on a whole new meaning. And so I kind of want to, as we begin to wrap up here in the next few minutes, I just want to, I have some questions that, some reflection questions that we're going to use during our communion time. And that is, what is the work God is calling to you, for you? Hiram probably never knew the impact that he would make he probably never thought that thousands of years later, 
I would be standing here teaching on this one chapter that he is mentioned in, in the Bible. He probably was like, I'm just doing my work. I'm just doing my bronze work. That's what I was raised to do. My father taught me how to do that. That's what I'm doing. He probably just saw that he was called to another job. He's like, great, I get to like build something for the temple. This is great. But he probably never knew the impact. Because when Jesus is at the center, it makes more of an impact than we could ever know. So what is that work that God is calling you to? We talk a lot, of, a lot about kingdom dreams here. Our mission here is awakening kingdom dreams in a world that's fast asleep. And that world that is fast asleep out there needs you to wake up to the dreams that God is placing on your life, to the work that he has made you for and called you to. Those gifts, those talents that you maybe have forgotten about or you don't think mean anything are useless, God says, no, I've given you that for a reason. I've given you those gifts and those talents and those things that bring joy and life into your life because I want you to make an impact. I want you to share about what I did. The kingdom of God. Take on kingdom value. That work becomes immeasurably Here at Grace Marietta, we're a staff. You know most of us if you've been around here for a minute or two. It's not just the staff doing the work here at Grace Marietta. We need each of you to wake up to the work that God's called you, to those dreams that he's stirring and placing in your life. He needs you to wake up. We need you to wake up and work as a family together to reach this community, to reach this world for an impact that we never know the fruit that it will produce. It will become more than we could ever imagine. So my second question is, do you know what the work is? If you don't know what the work is, that's okay. That's why we're here as a church family, to help you discover what brings you life, what brings you joy, what is that work that God has specifically called and made you for? And if you do know what the work is, are you doing? I'll tell you something. The enemy, he likes to make our life seem very busy. To make you seem like you don't have any time to do that little, what you think is a hobby that you love to enjoy. You don't have time to do this. There's all these little details. Logistically, it doesn't work out to do these things. But that's the enemy, like I mentioned in that quote earlier, taking these good things that aren't necessarily bad things. But ever so slightly twisting it to be like, oh, no, let's just not make time for that. Sometimes we just got to make time for it. So do you know what the work is? And if so, are you doing the work? And my last question is, what things have been at the center of your life that is creating a flawed mold? Maybe there's things that you've been building your life around that isn't Jesus. And there's things that Jesus needs to come to the center of your life and say, let me take a hold of that. Let me show you what a perfect mold looks like. And let me fill you with something greater. Let me fill you with the Holy Spirit so that you can go out and do greater things than even Jesus did. So that you can go make a lasting impact that the value of it cannot be determined. That it will become immeasurably more. And so we're going to move into a time of communion. And during this time of communion, I just encourage you to just reflect on these questions. Just ask God. If you don't know what the work is, ask him what the work is. He'll tell you. He's here meeting you. He's here ready to speak to you this morning.
Are there things that you're building around your life that you're like, you know what? That's not something God wants me building my life around. Jesus isn't at the center of that. What things do you need to destroy in your life to just get rid of to make room for Jesus at the center of that? So if you're at home tuning in with us, grab some crackers or some juice if you're here with us. Take your communion cup. If you didn't grab one, we got some tables right around here where you can grab a communion. The cracker is sitting right on top. I know it's a little bit tricky. But as you take this time of communion, stop and reflect and remember the work that Jesus did on the cross for you. Jesus was destroyed on the cross so that he could fill each and every one of you with the Holy Spirit. He died a brutally painful death for each and every person here and that is tuning in. He died for you. He died for me. He shed his blood so that we could receive the gift of the Holy Spirit so that our sins could be forgiven and the work that we do becomes priceless. The work that we do becomes immeasurable to you. So I just invite you to just sit and be still with the Lord this morning during this time of communion as we close in some closing worship. Jesus, I can say.